Welcome to the Craft Brewery Financial Training Podcast, where we combine beer and numbers to provide you with tips, tactics, and strategies so that you can improve financial results in your brewery. I'm your host, Kerry Shumway, a CPA, CFO for a brewery, and a former CFO for a beer distributor. I've spent the last 20 years using finance to improve financial results in our beer business. Now I'm helping other craft breweries to do the same. Are you ready to take your brewery financial results to the next level? Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Craft Brewery Financial Training Podcast. My name is Kerry Shumway and I'll be your host. Today we are going to talk all about beer distribution and we welcome in Laura Lodge from Customized Craft Beer Programs. Laura has tremendous experience in beer distribution and in the beer industry in general. And in our conversation, we start with the basics, what a distributor is, what they do, what the benefits are for you as a brewery, the things to think about, pitfalls to avoid. We talk a bit about distributor contracts, and we talk about the key elements to a good distribution partnership. So we dig into these and a whole lot of other topics. So for now, please enjoy this conversation with Laura Lodge from Customized Craft Beer Programs. All right. Hi, Laura, and welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Carrie. I'm excited to be back. We had a good time last time, so it's fun to dig in a little deeper this time. Absolutely, we did. And for anyone that missed our first uh, discussion, I'll link to that podcast in the show notes so people can check it out. Uh, But before we dig into today's topic, tell us a little bit about you and your background in the beer business. Sure. Um, My entry into the craft beer world was through the distribution tier, which is a little bit unusual when you're talking about retail programs and you're talking about education in the industry and all the things I'm involved with now. And, um, and I think it gives me a little bit of a unique perspective because the middle tier is largely a gray zone or or kind of a, an unknown for brewers. And, um, one of the first things I did was to write a book that said, here's a little bit more about how to understand what distribution is and how you can really work with as a team, as a partner with distributors to really do well for your brewery, um, But since my brother owned the distribution company, and so I helped him with that, I did everything from financial zone to um, working with our brewers about, you know, promotions and billbacks and all of the, all of the nitty gritty stuff, as well as entering invoices and doing collections and loading trucks. And I even ran my own little route for a while. (laughs) I had to do it in a van so I could slide the kegs off the back onto a dolly because I can't pick them up. Um, But you know, it was a small business where everybody did everything. And um, we had some really great suppliers and we learned a lot. And even though I left before the business ended up selling off brands and closing, um, there's just so much to know and understand about the dynamics of of that tier. So now I, um, you know, I've set up a number of resort retail programs Um, I've done a lot of work with uh, craft beer and brewing with their new brewery accelerator workshop program. Um, We did some cool brewers retreats. I've set up a lot of welcome receptions and educational programs and a lot of corporate group kinds of get to know your palate in the beer. Um, And our latest venture, mine and Candace's, is start a brewery, which is a free website that we've designed pulling together from other people in the industry that have been around for a long time and are happy to um, contribute educational content. So that's that's the newest and and uh, and dearest right now in the focus. But it's also bringing me back to my distribution roots because that's you know I'm putting together articles about distribution back again to trying to help brewers understand. It's kind of been an interesting wandering uh, zone, but it feels a little bit like it's come around full circle. All roads lead back to distribution. I like how you, you phrase that. It's a, the middle tier is a gray zone. So that's really our goal for today is to share with people and dig in on beer distribution, kind of un, um, clear this up for folks, give them some, mm-hmm. some best practices and, and uh, tips on that. So we'll dig into working with a beer wholesaler, what to know before you dive in, how to get started, and obviously tips to help make it a successful partnership. Um, let's start with some basics in your definition Uh, just for folks like what is a distributor? What do they do exactly? And because I think there may be some misconceptions out there about what a distributor does, maybe misunderstanding about things that they don't actually do. So in your your view, what what is a beer distributor? 
interestingly enough, that has changed over time. Um, and, and it's a lot, has a lot more of a wildcard variable to it now than it used to. Um, traditionally, in my view, the distributor is taking off of your plate as a brewer, is taking off the, the holding of inventory, the sales of your product to retailers, whether it's on-premise at a liquor store or a restaurant or off-premise like, or off-premise like a liquor store, on-premise like a bar or a restaurant, um, actually has a sales staff to do those sales calls and educate people about your product, build your brand, work together with you to grow those sales, to um, introduce your products to the market as you can, to really strategize with you, um, to really to really be a good partner. And I think that traditional definition, while largely understood always, um, as being kind of a black hole, like you, you, you've now signed up with a distributor so you can fire your entire sales team because the distributor has it all. Um, that, that misconception has, has always been wrong, but it's become more wrong um, as time has passed. So when I, when I first wrote this book, Distribution Insight for the Craft Brewer, it was like 2012-ish. And and things were pretty much in a traditional way that when you signed up with a distributor, you were signing up with somebody to grow your brand with you. And um, as time has passed, we've seen mega distributors and brand collectors kind of come out of the woodwork as the consolidation of distributors has increased. So as the distributors become fewer, um, the, the clamor of craft brewers to find a distributor, a third party distributor to take these burdens off their plate, this selling and delivering and collecting of, of the funds um, has gotten to be more pressure. And so um, there are instances when brewers feel like they have to sign up with whoever is available. And then you run the risk of signing with somebody who really doesn't have an interest in selling your brand or building your brand. And, and that's a risk for brand collectors. Like there's, they want your brand so nobody else can have it, not necessarily because they want to sell it or mega distributors who have so many brands in their portfolio that their sales reps probably don't even know you're there, much less talk about your product when they're in talking to a buyer in one of their accounts. And so you, you really risk today more than you did before. It was always a risk because you needed to, to have that mind share of the distributor and the distributor sales reps to get that focus to build your brand in the market. But now there's even contracts, distribution contracts out there that specifically say, we are not going to sell your product and we are not going to build your brand. It's your responsibility to sell it and it's your responsibility to grow it. And all we're going to do is take orders and deliver and collect money. So it's become a much more, and I want to say polarized or, uh, but the variable um, intent and nature of the distributors has gotten to be so extremely different that you really have to be careful when you're looking for somebody to work with. And the, the whole notion of a distributor just going to sign a contract and then take off with your brand on their own without your active support and without actively having somebody in the market is, is really a fairy tale now. It's interesting. You know, I, uh, working with contracts in my prior job as CFO for a beer wholesaler, it was there would be standard contracts, but there might be some variations, you know, maybe a, a couple, everyone would have their own contract, but usually there would be a terminology and there's something to the effect of the wholesaler is going to make commercially reasonable efforts to sell, mm -hmm. market, promote your brands. So that that's interesting to me that that's kind of been just the language has been taken out. So that, that might be a place for folks to look like if, if you're being presented with a contract is that the language they should look out for is, you know, we're actually not going to do these things. So that would fall under the bucket of, you know, you just need to know what you're getting into and what you're going to need to do uh, to fill that gap. Is that something they should look for? Yes, absolutely. And that kind of leads us to that simple statement of you never, ever, ever want to sign a contract as it's initially presented. Um, there's no requirement for you to do that. There's no obligation for you to do that. And there is a, a very specific um, representation when you do that you don't care enough and you don't have the leveraging power to, you know, negotiate and understand what's happening at the table. So you never, ever, ever want to sign a contract that's presented to you by a distributor. It is, in fact, to your advantage to create your own contract 
because anyone who has a contract is is writing it to their advantage. Um, but if you don't have the means to do that, then at the very least, you need to pull apart the distributor's contract with your attorney who understands the industry, which is key, um, and, and really make sure that, that you know what they are and are not going to do, and make sure you understand what you need to do in order to be a good partner to support them. Um, there are a lot of things that you need to do internally before you want to search for a distributor. And if you're not ready to be a good partner, then then you're you're not only cutting off your nose to spite your face, you're you're just shoveling money down a hole um, or beer in this case. There's you know, if, if you don't have an operating working understanding of what you're doing and both parties are engaged and excited about doing it, don't sign the contract. Don't even go there. Um, and that's hard to hear for some brewers. I, I had a, a gentleman I was consulting for in on, on the Western Slope of Colorado who said, I, I need to be in Wyoming. I need to be in Wyoming. And, and the only distributor that I can, you know, get on board that I can work with is XYZ. And, and it's really not a good contract. And I know I probably shouldn't do it, but I need to be in Wyoming. And as a consultant, and this is the good thing about consultants, right? You can be objective about these things because you're not emotionally invested. And the, the, the response from my end was, you don't. You really don't need to be in Wyoming. And, and there are lots of other places you can be and do that are going to be excited to see you. So go somewhere where there's somebody excited about you and your brand, because it's, there's just a, you're not going to win if you're, if you're grasping at straws and they know it too. Mm, that's a good point. I want to circle back to the contract piece because I know that's a, that's a point of contention, um, certainly between breweries and wholesalers. A couple of things that you had mentioned, uh, just to kind of reiterate, one is don't just sign the contract. I mean, I, I would suspect most people are going to review it and probably get some professional help. But the, the takeaway too is, you know, consider creating your own. I mean, that's, I advocate, advocate for that as well. And, you know, yeah, it's going to be a little bit of time and money, but the education is going to be well worth it because you'll know what's in there. Uh, you'll, as you, as you pointed out, you'll be able to kind of craft the language uh, more in your favor, or at least more balanced, right? I know these contracts are always like, everyone's trying to one up each other, but it's like, look, if you want a good business relationship, you know, you're trying to create a contract that's clear, as fair as possible, but you don't want one side to, to get a, a significant advantage over the other to, to the other's detriment. Um, mm-hmm. I've then, only seen, I've only seen one that was actually fair. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah. So in the, in the last takeaway was finding an attorney that understands both contract law and the state rules regulations uh, regarding alcohol. So, cause they're all, all very particular, right? I mean, um, so having, having those two, skill sets for your attorney is, uh, is, is a good idea for sure. Um, mm-hmm. And you can, you can get away with having a good attorney and then consulting with somebody who understands the industry and distribution. I mean, you can put those two together. I'm not an attorney and I've done a lot of contract review to talk about the operational and strategic side of things without, you know, without being an attorney. I can talk you through it and walk with you through it and advise you through it, but you really do need an attorney to to make sure that everything's wrapped up with a bow. Absolutely. And I think you know an attorney that could help with that, do you? I do. I do. Candace calls her firm the craft beer attorney. It's all she's ever done. Um, but with Start a Brewery, I, I tell you, this has been attorney week because I had several attorneys come on board this week. Um, one in Minneapolis, two in Ohio, um, and, and Brooke down in uh, the Carolina world was has been on board forever and finally got his info in. Um, so it's been attorney week and there, there are great attorneys who understand craft beer everywhere. Perfect. So we've talked a little bit about, you know, the cautionary tales, you know, be, you know, being aware, you know, when you're uh, entering into a relationship like this, from your view, what are the benefits of working with a wholesaler and, and why would you need one? And why would it, why would a brewery, you know, look towards that avenue to sell their products? I think the fundamental basic is that you didn't open a brewery and start this business to load trucks and to be on your feet in the street every day. And there's a lot of equipment and a lot of infrastructure that goes with the wholesale process. Um, One of the things that I do suggest in places where it's legal and it's almost legal everywhere is to do some self-distribution 
even on a limited basis before you look for a distributor, because that self-distribution piece can really help you understand the logistics and the focus and the, the nitty gritty of what goes into being a distributor. You have, you know, silly things that, that you don't really think about, like a vehicle and a dolly. I've, I've seen people delivering on their bicycles, right? Um, but you also have to have some accounting to be able to track those invoices. And you need to be able to um, stay current in terms of, of legal obligations, too, as far as reporting of those sales and, and making sure that all your I's and, and T's are dotted and crossed in the right way. Um, some states are, states are COD with payment, some are 30 days. 30 days is, you know, you have to wait that much longer for the cash to cover the product. And that's, that's hard. It's particularly hard for a wholesaler. And it's something that brings it home a little bit more when you've had to bridge that money for that period of time yourself. Um, I think the idea of making calls and understanding when the accounts want to see their deliveries and what days they want to see their deliveries and what days they want you to show up to make a sales call and how many times you need to make a sales call before they might order with you. Um, what happens if you screw up, if it's a, a, a bar and your beer is not pouring right at 1130 at night on a Saturday night, you need to be there and you need to be fixing it and be accountable. Uh, what happens when you run out of beer and are you going to lose your shelf spot? How are you going to make that up to the account? How are you going to keep that? What happens if you have to do a product recall? All those kinds of things, breakage, um, beer that goes out of date, all of these things are, are things that the wholesaler worries about that you as a brewer don't need to be as worried about, particularly if the driver shows up or the truck breaks down, right? Um, and, and a distributor can take that off your plate. And you got in this to brew. You didn't get in this to, to do collections and worry about your truck driver and, and leasing or buying a truck. So that's what your distributor does for you. And the ability to grow your brand across significant you know, geographic spaces where you can't see or touch or, or reach personally on a regular basis through a wholesaler is really, you know, you can't do that any other way. So if you have aspirations of being a regional or national brand or international brand for that, um, you really have to have somebody advocating on your behalf, whether that's, you know, exporter, importer for other countries, whether that's um, a distributor in another state or even in your own. Um, to have somebody who understands that area, already has the connections with the buyers, understands which stores are a good fit for you when you don't really know that area, that's huge. Mm. Oh, those are great points. Yeah. And it's, there's always trade-offs, right? So you're, you know, it's something given for something that you get, but certainly the, the ability to scale your brands and the ability to really outsource all of those headaches, all of those logistics, um, that can't be understated. And I, and I like what you said is, you know, s start with self-distribution so that you really know what it's like. And when I talk to, um, you know, brewery owners that have done that, some takeaways that they have is they had like, they had no idea how hard it was. Um, they had never had that many parking tickets, you know, you just, and the accounts receivable in the collection side was a real significant challenge because when you're dealing with dozens or hundreds of different retail accounts you're trying to collect from dozens and hundreds and uh, they don't always pay and particularly if you don't invoice timely or correctly or sort of repeatedly when they don't pay the first one uh, that could be a real challenge so definitely outsourcing all that you just described is a, is a big benefit um, and things to consider so let's dig in on a little bit of what you should know and what you should do before you look for a distributor partner? What are some of your thoughts around that? There's a whole laundry list of things, but I think to, to really sum it up, you need to really have your ducks in a row internally. You need to know and understand your costs. You need to know and understand your brand. You need to have all of your imagery, your marketing, your sell sheets, your any, any small point of sale items, you really need to understand who you are and what your ability is to produce beer and to represent yourself. And if you have not taken the time to know your costs or to get your ducks in a row, for example, when um, High Point was still open, we would have people drive up and get out of the car in 
t-shirt, ripped jeans, uh, carrying a couple of growlers of, you know, undetermined origin size and come in and, and expect us to randomly taste whatever it was in there and decide to sell it without any names, without any representation of the brand, without any imagery, POS, nothing. Um, and that is the, the most classic example of do not do this ever. Because if you want someone to legitimately professionally represent you, you need to come to the table legitimately and professionally. And I think that the preparation that goes into doing that and the research that goes into where do I want to be and how do I want to be represented and who's going to be able to do a good job of that, it's a lot of homework. It's homework internally and then it's homework and research um, to reach out before you start meeting with anybody. So I, I would say just you know, know yourself and be realistic about where you want to be, why you want to be there and, and how you can support that and be a good partner. You, you mentioned the, a, a laundry list. Do you have, or um, maybe in the book, are there like, a, is there a checklist of, of things like, hey, do these, consider these dozen or two dozen things? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a whole chapter dedicated to one after the next, after the next, after the next. Okay, good. So for people listening that really want to dig in further on that, uh, we'll put that link to the book so you can check it out. Um, but I think that's that's really good guidance because you know you got to know it's we call it the due diligence, right? You got to do your homework before you get in. It's going to avoid a lot of surprises, and that's going to kind of lead to my next question: is you know what are the key elements to a good partnership between brewery and distributor? Clearly, the brewery can do these things that you've just enumerated to make right. it so, but. I guess in your experience, what are those key elements that make a successful partnership? Um, I think that the priority of each has changed over time. Um, right now, I would say that the hardest thing to, to earn and maintain with a partnership with a distributor is mindshare. You need them focused on you. You need them to mention you when they're in with their accounts. You need them to be caring about new products you're putting out. And so I think that communication, open communication, respectful communication, diligent communication, both ways has become almost more important than anything else. Um, you don't want to enter into a contract with a distributor who doesn't like your beer and doesn't want to grow your beer and doesn't want to talk about your beer. So that's something you can kind of tell in the interview. Are they really excited? Um, do they really think that that their buyers are gonna be excited. Um, you need that enthusiasm piece because that enthusiasm has to carry you through the grand opening into some consistent sales. And if you've got kind of lukewarm enthusiasm and really not a lot of clear chain of communication, I think you're kind of doomed. Um, there, there's a lot to be said for you know, if you're going to, if you're going to put feet on the street, if you're going to have somebody that's doing sales in the wholesalers territory on a regular basis, then the communication doesn't always need to be with the person who's signing the contract. So if you, as the owner of the brewery, you're signing the contract, but you're going to have a sales rep that's in that area, mm -hmm. the sales rep is largely going to do most of the communication. Probably, you know, annually, you're going to sit down to do your business plan. Um, maybe quarterly, you know, maybe you're going to review the reports, but maybe you're going to send them to the sales rep, you know, or your sales manager that's in that area to handle that relationship. So it, it may not be you signing the contract that needs to have that amazing communication, but there needs to be a consistent, reliable, accountable communication channel that is, that is open. And I think that's the, the best success measure. Um, you know, there are some things to look at before you approach different distributors and then to ask about in your in your discussions, like, do you have competing brands in the portfolio that are going to perhaps take from your sales? Do you have somebody that is maybe a stronger brand and you feel like the distributor is going to maybe push them instead of you or that you'll be overshadowed by them? Um, it's a hard thing for a distributor to promise but you need to be proactive about what do I need to do? Do we need to do some promotions where they're legal? Do we need to do some features? How are your sales representatives incented? Can we do some wearables? You know, how do we, how do we keep that top of mind presence 
um, with your team. Now, the given here, the unspoken, is that you have amazing beer consistently, that you don't run out of that amazing consistent beer ever, and that you are reliable about getting it to them when they need it. And on their side, they need to be ordering it when it's close to running out and not run out. And you need some assurances that they're not going to run all the way out on all of your beers before they order some. Um, so there's a lot of variables in there. But <clears throat> today, I think it's it's more communication than anything, communication and accountability. And if you, you don't have a representation of that, then I really don't think you're off to a good start. Mm, true. Yeah, and I think I'll, I'll put in a quick plug here for um, GP Analytics. I know you and I have corresponded about this company. And one of the things that they do that's kind of interesting relative to the communication piece is, you know, as a brewer, you don't always have great visibility into what the wholesaler has for product on hand. You know, and they, they have a craft portal basically where the wholesaler can order and that integrates with VIP um, SRS data and so forth. But to your point of, uh, you know, you don't want the wholesaler to run out and you don't want them to have too much. You want to have that, this sort of automates a little bit of that component of the communication. So it's information sharing, um, but it allows, um, allows it to happen without actually picking up the phone and, hey, can I talk to the inventory guy? What do you have on hand? It's more seamless. Um, but I think your broader, your broader point is really communicating with the people that can make a difference with, with selling, marketing, promoting, and building your brand in a collaborative fashion. So have you seen any, any tactics, techniques, any tips relative to sales growth? That's one of the bigger questions I think breweries have is like, how do I stand out? I mean, a portfolio is huge. Um, right. Any particular strategies? Um, a couple. Let's go back one second, though. I think a good place to begin with that, um, with that ordering and supply challenge is to make sure in your contract, when you originally negotiate it, that there is an expectation and a requirement for regular reporting. Um, not everybody has VIP, although those technology tools are super cool. Um, and I think if you start with an obligation, a requirement of reporting on a regular basis, monthly, if you can get it, weekly would be amazing. Um, but I know quarterly is, is, has been pretty standard. Even if you can't get some cool technology to help you with that, you need there to be an obligation of the wholesaler to report and let you know how things are going. And um, a depletions report is a good way to do that um, in the absence of technology that'll do it for you. Um, and that'll help that communication piece. Some like if somebody takes a look at it and says, we're running low or, hey, it looks like sales were really up for this particular beer. Do you need more? Um, it's also a good opportunity to you know, to praise and to schmooze and to, hey, good job. You guys did an awesome, you know, our promotion was really successful. Thank you so much. How do I thank your team? You know, I'm not going to send you guys lunch. You know, what's the, you know, you have to, you have to send sunshine um, because the more you send sunshine then the lack of sunshine or a little bit of, hey, we need to work on this goes a lot further. Um, but yes, and sales, increasing sales. Again, I think share of mind is, is the number one goal because, if they talk about you in the accounts, you win, um, provided that you have good beer. So that's, again, you're given. To increase sales, one of the hardest things to do because it's expensive is to have feet on the street. But that's also the number one thing that wholesalers want is they want support in the market. So to be able to have someone who is working with the wholesalers sales team, um, going to visit key accounts, uh, talking up promotions, um, talking up or going and doing the tastings with the buyers that sometimes the, the wholesaler reps don't have a chance to do. Um, anytime that you can offer that support or that tag team, hey, so-and-so might be interested in picking this up if you can swing in. Oh, hey, so-and-so is out of this product. Can you help me with that? Um, hey, there was draft line problems over here. Can you take a look at that? And have the, have the distributor sales rep also feel comfortable to reach out to your rep and say, I'm having trouble. Um, and to be able to have that give and take, I think that feed on the street piece can be the most key to growing your product reliably um, because it gives that support and that back and forth when that one sales rep may not be able to carry the load. Um, another thing, you know, you need to have your marketing strategy and your point of sale stuff in place when you walk in the door, but that's an ever evolving thing. Um, the question needs to be asked on a regular basis. What can I do to help you? 
Um, if you could get more accounts, if you had coasters for the bar, let's talk about that. What does that take? Um, if you want to run a promotion for a camping chair, what does that cost? 40 bucks, you're going to split the cost with a wholesaler and you can run a, a, a promotion or a raffle or a something in a liquor store and make them happy. And they're going to buy a, I don't know, 25, 50, 100, 250 case drop to do that. Fabulous. Bring it on. Um, so I think being open-minded is key. Um, and then the, the limited release and specialty products, I think, have been really important, especially through the pandemic and especially uh, for brands who need a little bit of a push or a pull um, to be able to allocate some limited release uh, hype beers, for lack of a really better way to put that, um, to be able to give them something special and say, hey, you can allocate these to your key accounts as you see fit. Um, and we only have 10 cases or we only have 25 cases or, you know, it was a, you know, whatever that is, or a keg or two or a six dollar two to reward their best, best accounts and to mix things up in the market and talk about something different, I think is really a great opportunity. And to that point, um, when you, when you do a rollout in a new territory, there's a lot of room for, for creativity there too. I remember the first time somebody did something different was when Boulevard came into Colorado and they led with bombers and specialty beers. They led with their smokestack series. And that's not normal. Normally you lead with your flagship Amber and your Pilsner and your Pale and those things were traditional. And, and now there's nothing traditional. It's all about how do I get the most exposure and the most um, focus on my brand um, to build it in the best way with the best foundation. And so if you have some of these specialty products to be able to tease and then reward your accounts for, for carrying your flagships on a, on a long-term basis, that can go a long way. And you have to be careful that that doesn't turn into some sort of like requirement um, because then it's perceived in a, in a negative way. But you can, you can really strategize with your accounts and with your reps to see how best to help the sales grow. Mm, those are great points. I think that the overarching theme is it's hard work, right? It takes time, energy, resources. And one thing that may be helpful for folks to think about and this may be a uh, unsavory thought, but you know, kind of reversing the script and saying, you know, the wholesaler is your customer. So think about the whole because the wholesaler is buying from you. Um, they're going to be your largest customer, most almost certainly, and they're going to almost certainly pay you on time. So from a mindset standpoint, it might help for a brewery to look at the relationship that way and say, okay, well, this is my best customer. How would I treat my best customer? I would do all the things that you just just laid out. Now it's a little bit of a hybrid relationship, but the bottom line is you're selling them beer and they're paying you for it. And uh, there's a, a collaborative um, working together to kind of help grow your brands. Um, so those are, those are some great, great tips there. I as think one as, of the challenges in, in the biggest picture is large wholesalers versus smaller wholesalers. The smaller guys usually care more about the individual brands and are super, super enthusiastic, but they're usually underfunded. And the bigger guys have a really awesome on-time cash flow, but their guys, their, their sales team is usually overwhelmed and has a huge portfolio and, and may not be able to, to really give you the time of the day, even though they have a print shop and they can do cool things and so I think that's that's one of the harder things to figure out when you're navigating your options for distribution is, do you go with a little guy who might be struggling with cash flow and loves your brand and is going to talk about you all the time? Or do you go with a larger guy who has the cash flow and you may not come up in conversation as often, but you're going to get paid on time? I, you know, that's, that's a tough one. Yeah, that's a good point. There's, hopefully there's a sweet spot out there where you can get the best of both worlds and you're going to pay me on time. You're going to focus my brands, focus on my brands and so forth. But that does take uh, that due diligence and the interview process and asking questions and all of those. So for a while there, it was the craft beer division of the larger breweries or the larger wholesalers that were a good option because they had people they were hiring specifically for craft. They could talk that language and, and understood that, that different kind of sales. I'm not sure that that's necessarily the winning recipe anymore, but that was that was it for a while. When you look at these relationships in, in your experience, when things do go wrong, what what areas do they tend to go wrong in? And 
so if, if a brewery was to sort of anticipate, oh, these are the common things that might go wrong in the relationship, uh, how could they maybe identify them before they happen, head them off at the pass, and or ultimately try to repair them? Um, I think that I think there are kind of four areas that can be warning signs that may not necessarily be the actual root of the problem, whatever it is. Um, one is cash flow. If all of a sudden that's not happening on a regular basis like it's supposed to be, that's a warning sign. Um, stalled sales, another warning sign. You were doing really well, really well, really well, and all of a sudden it's not happening. The beer's just not moving. Um, if you were having a good communication exchange on a regular basis and all of a sudden you haven't heard from your people on the other end, um, what happened? And then the fourth would be uh, what we've seen the most of lately is, is when the economy does weird things. So I think that, that all of those can be addressed in, in different ways, but I think they all come back to communication and that being a good partner piece of being accountable for the communication that's coming your way and, and being open to dialogue to say, what's the situation? Let's not point fingers. Let's figure out a solution and let's strategize together. You know, this is not, you're on your own. This is, we're in this together. And sometimes, especially with the pandemic, neither one of you are in control of the situation, um, but it could be other things. It could be, there's a new sales rep. They could be something happened in the market um, to your product or an incident with your product that needs to be corrected. Um, it could be something's happening internally at the distribution company and you need to find out what's going on and why your brand is suffering from it. Um, it, it can be any number of things going on, but you wanna especially be alert for change in management, change in ownership, um, those, those are pieces that are more difficult to recover from. And um, I always advocate for little things like make sure that you're having your contact or reaching out for your, your person, whether at the wholesaler or at the brewery, at a time of day that makes sense for them. We had a, a, a brewery owner that used to reach out for my brother at eight o'clock in the morning when he was trying to get the trucks out the door. There's, there's no way you're going to get full focus, full mind share full anything at that point. You're not going to even maybe get a civil response because everything's tangled up trying to get the, the trucks out the door and the drivers out the door and make sure everybody has what they want. And, and if you're going to email, sometimes that's awesome. And sometimes that person only checks their email once a week. Do they need texting? Do they need a phone call? What is the best way of communicating with each person? And I think that that is unique to each person in each situation and is worth the time to just say, hey, what would work best? How can I, how can I work with you in the best way? Mm, I like that. So really those warning signs, just to kind of recap those, I think those are very helpful for people. The problems can arise in all sorts of situations. It's a business relationship. Uh, but if you're, if you're attuned to it and you're looking at cash flow, okay, maybe they're not paying as much on time or they're late on invoices, they're skipping invoices, could be a red flag sales are declining, it was doing great, and now it's not. So that kind of leads to that importance of getting that data in a timely fashion. Communication, they're not answering my texts anymore. They're not returning my calls. They're canceling meetings, right? These are sort of, and then the economy, you know, just sort of as a global change, you know, when, when things shift, always a good time to kind of reach out and maybe recalibrate the relationship or you know, how, how that's working, not working, what changes are occurring that you might need to adapt to. So I think those are, those are great points. It, I think if the you, pandemic really showed us the value of relationships yeah. because that was the time when we could reach out to each other and say, how can I help you uh, on so many levels? And that was the reward for, for working so hard for those relationships was to be able to say, I've got your back. And to know that the people on the other end do too, even if their world is going to hell in a handbasket. Right. We're going to talk about that in a second, but I did want to just close the loop on the contract piece. So if, if uh, you see the warning signs, you identify the problems, try to work them through, let's just say you can't fix them. I mean, they're just, you know, beyond repair. One of the concerns I know breweries have, brewery owners have is, you know, I'm stuck in this contract forever. Um, what's your take on that? Like if, if a brewery 
wanted to or needed to get out? What are the options relative to the contract that you've seen? Um, well, the straight up solution is, is um, exercising the breach of contract clause in your contract. Um, but you have to be able to point to a deficiency in performance. So you need to have a contract that spells that out. You know, what, what is it? What is the expected performance so that, so that if it's not happening, you can point to it at this point and say, it's not working. Um, so we do have cause. We have cause to void this contract because you're not holding up your end of the deal. Um, all of that has the magic asterisk of franchise law based on whatever state you're in. Um, and working through the contract means to, to end the partnership um, is the formal way to go. So in some states, that's technically not possible. In some states, that's possible if you buy your rights out, but you have to pay the distributor to leave. Or if you have some distributor that you want to move to, they can pay that distributor to leave. And then you have the awesome negotiation of value. Um, but I think that it's worth saying that there are often unwritten, unspoken opportunities. For example, distributors have traded brands. Um, for example, distributors have said, I simply can't handle this brand anymore. It's too big for me. They, we've grown it together so successfully that I just, I just don't have the manpower. I just don't have the warehouse space. And I, I'm not interested in growing my distribution company and have figured out a way to get that brand to someone who can. Um, so when there's a will, there's often some way um, that, is, that is often unacknowledged in states, for example, like Maine, um, maybe improving now, a lot of things are improving, but there's a lot of um, marriage until death states uh, in the franchise law world and uh, working around those may, I mean, you may need to leave the state um, I know sometimes when, when distributors are purchased by others or sell to somebody else and you really don't want that distributor, sometimes your option is to leave, leave the state. Uh, if it's your state, that's tough, um, but drop your distribution for a while. Um, and there's a certain amount of years you often need to do that by state law, which differs, another asterisk, but you can literally leave the state, go somewhere else, focus on something else for a while and go back in with a distributor that you want to work with. Um, so there's lots of different avenues, if need be. Yeah, I think the overarching takeaway on this topic is to try to answer these questions before entering into the contract, right? Say like, Absolutely. Right, well, I, I, you know, I, I often kind of joke about bankers, you know, they love the belts and suspenders, right? The, you know, they want to collateralize your asset and they want a personal guarantee and they want this, that, you know, they want all, they, they're basically preparing for the worst, and while that can be a little frustrating if you're on the other side of the table, I think we can learn a lesson from them and say, look, we're going to go into this new relationship, let's say, with a wholesaler with the full expectation that it's, it's going to be a great partnership and so forth. However, if things do go wrong, what might that look like and how does the contract speak to that? So exactly. if, if the kind of a worst case scenario is what we've been just kind of riffing on here, which is things aren't good. They're not getting any better. We've tried to resolve it. You got to get out of the, what are my options? So some of these will be in the contract. Some will be sort of buried in the franchise laws. Others can be these sort of uh, off book approaches, you know, trading or purchasing, you know, at a certain valuation. But I think, you know, you probably want to just file this one under, it's part of your due diligence to understand what your options are and the interplay of all those different rules that are kind of governing the relationship there. Right. And the franchise law, I think, is the one that that kind of is king here, because oftentimes whatever you put in the contract is, is just goodwill and intent. If the franchise law is going to actually squash anything that you put in that contract. So make sure your state franchise law allows you an exit. And if it doesn't, you need to consider even more carefully. So let's shift back. You had mentioned, you know, obviously we've, we're, we're recording this in uh, February 2022, and it's been a crazy last couple of years, really. So in your view, in your experience, how has the pandemic really affected distribution uh, for, for the beer business? 
Uh, it turned it up on its end. Uh, I don't think anybody would argue that. Um, the short version is all the on-premise went away and all the off-premise exploded. Um, so we, we also went from being a very uh, in-person industry to being a very remote industry. And I think that the, um, the usage of social media to sell things, the, the, the online web-based uh, menus for what's available in the liquor store, uh, curbside, deliver to your home, um, all of the weird things that happened, I think are, it's not like they're not going to go away, but they won't go all the way away. And I think our, our new exceptions for e-commerce to be able to ship across state lines from the brewery and to be able to, to do new things, those, those are, are going to forever have an impact on what we do as an industry. And it's affecting the, the three-tier system tremendously. So in addition to the you know, lobbying that the Brewers Association has been doing for some time about you know, having a carve-out for anybody, any brewery that's less than 3% of the wholesaler's uh, profit or gross sales or whatever, having a, an easy out on their contract, uh, that, that's been happening. And, and the push to change things for tiny breweries has been happening for some time. But now having these other sales options and avenues is going to put a different um, stress and, and, and uh, perspective really on distribution. So little breweries who didn't previously have an avenue to distribution or to getting their products out from their own geographic space may now have the option to sign up with somebody like Bev or somebody like Tavor or, you know, some of these other companies, because all of a sudden the, the regulations on state levels have lifted and changed and shifted to accommodate the pandemic. So I think, I think the technology shift was the biggest but the fact that technology is moving us away from in-person relationships is, is also the, the toughest for our industry. We are, a, we are a people industry. And I think that that will never replace an in-person sales call, but it's going to make things more efficient. It's going to make more, more accounts possible per sales rep if you can do it electronically and with Zoom and by text and all of the different ways you can place orders now. There's just everything shifted because it had to. And now I think we're going to grow in unexpected different ways because of those shifts. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see how on-premise recovers. Does it recover all the way? Um, do people still rely on package instead of going all the way back to kegs? Um, you know, what are what are what are we going to see? Are, are we still going to be able to do life as we knew it, or is it going to be forever different? And I, I just don't know what that looks like. Yeah, that'll be the big question that gets answered here in the next year or two, hopefully sooner. Um, but the fundamentals that we've talked about don't really change, right? It's still a relationship business. Maybe you're doing more Zoom meetings than you are in, in person, but those fundamental aspects of just building a good relationship, being a good partner, doing your due diligence, understanding you know what's expected of you and what you expect from your partner those those sort of transcend what what's going on but certainly there's these these new innovations that have come that can be great for everyone hopefully yes and i, I think it's impressive how much of the 2012 content remains constant mm. um, from the book because it's still all relevant we've just added a few more variables for sure so we could, I know we could, we both love talking distribution, self-distribution. We could talk for quite a, quite a lot longer, but I think we'll bring this one to a close. And I want to ask just, just one final question before we uh, wrap up. Um, what do you read these days for beer industry newsletters? Where do you get your news? Is it uh, you know, newsletters themselves, websites, podcasts? Where do you go for, for your beer industry information? Well, it's interesting because that has shifted too. Most of, most of the information that I get and the, the changes and shifting of things is still in person for me. Um, Julie Rhodes is a, is, a, is a great connection for me, still with her feet on the ground, still with importer roots. Um, and and it's, it's interesting to talk with other consultants in the distribution space, in the sales space, to feel out how things are going. 
And that's still primary for me, surprisingly through the pandemic, that's still primary. Um, but I am doing more with um, podcasts and I am learning more from the contributors that are sending me information for Startup Brewery. Um, learning from each other is really primary for me. And I'm finding more and more um, from other people, hey, you should tune into this webinar. Hey, you should tune into this podcast. Hey, you should. Um, John Hall always has great content on his podcast and great people. Um, just, just finding the, those connections. I know that um, the Craft Beer Professionals has been a, an ever-evolving source of connections and content. And I feel like that's really matured in the last couple of years or through the pandemic. I think there was a lot more ability of people to focus and share. I see a lot more industry veterans on there than I used to. Um, and I, I think it's great that so many are stepping up for the, the spring conference and the, you know, the conferences that Andrew puts together. Uh, but I like the Craft Beverage Expo. I like, you know, CBC. CBC is, is beyond all the educational tracks. Again, we're meeting in person. We have the opportunity to connect. And, and those, to me, are better insight than, than a lot of reading. I love that answer. I was not expecting that, but I, but I really, really appreciate that. <laughs> I also find, and this is funny, I also find that a lot of books about distribution are written by people who are from a huge distributor background. So wading into all of the acronyms and all of the distributor speak um, is, is only helpful if you understand that. And they very often don't bother to explain all of that stuff. And so, yes, I can look it all up and I can translate it, but I'm from a really little distributor background and we didn't use those terms. And so in educating other people, I don't use those terms. I try to make it explainable and understandable to your layperson, to your person who, who doesn't necessarily come from that background. So it's kind of funny that some of the books and things that are out there, I just don't have the patience for it because it needs to be explained at an everybody level and not just to somebody else who's all the way up the chain of command in the big distributor zone. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, Laura, thank you so much for the time today. A lot of great information. If folks want to get in touch with you, learn about what you've got going on, whether it's startabrewery.com or otherwise, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, probably email um, Laura at Customized Craft Beer Programs or Laura at startabrewery.com. Probably the best ways to reach out. Um, more than happy to have philosophical discussions about distribution anytime. Um, and we are going to be doing our resource groups with, with contributor spotlights. So you'll be learning more about different areas of the industry each month when we have those for Started Brewery. So that might be, of, might be of interest also. Thank you for listening to the Craft Brewery Financial Training Podcast, where we combine beer and numbers so that you can improve financial results in your brewery. For more resources, tools, guides, and online courses, visit craftbreweryfinancialtraining.com. And don't forget to sign up for the world-famous Craft Brewery Financial Training Newsletter. Until next time, get out there and improve financial results in your brewery today.